Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM. This is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Loves and kicking things off for us tonight. Sudan Archives with a new single called NPBQ, bracket topless. And uh, fingers crossed, if you've been listening to the Festival Express series, we will have Sudan Archives on it, uh, trying to firm down a phone call with them next week. Uh, and that'll play before they come to play Birds Hill next weekend. Uh, we are going to be featuring an interview with Leith Ross that uh, appeared on Festival Express. Um, wanted to spotlight that artist today. Uh, I also have an interview with Yukon artist Joey O'Neill, who is touring the country playing dog parks. Uh, no Winnipeg Date playing Brandon tomorrow and Kenora on Sunday. So if you're listening and you're in one of those places, uh, definitely check them out. Go to the show log for uh, more information on that tour and a great video shot by their dog. Um, But before we get to Joey O'Neill, this is Living Hour with Nobody, the latest single from their forthcoming record, Sunday is Today. Spots behind each eyelid Spelling names, making shapes at the Oh 
right, while she is in the midst of her Unleashed Tour, Yukon artist Joey O'Neill will not be playing Winnipeg, but dancing around our city, playing Brandon on July 2nd at the East End Paw Park and Kenora on the 3rd at the City of Kenora Dog Park. And if you're wondering why dog parks, that's because she and her dog are are touring this country of ours and, and playing a series of concerts for people and their dogs. Welcome to the show, Joey. Thank you so much for having me. So... I mean, there's 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 dog stuff on on your album on Ever Ahead, and you know you you you're clearly a dog lover who tours with her dog. Like, was this just kind of a, a fun idea, or like, did you think like, oh, you know, with pandemic, who knows where what venues I might play? So, like, an outdoor thing is always a safe bet. Yeah, exactly. Well, I released my album in April 2020, which was really absurd timing, and um, I'm sure all the other musicians who, you know, were releasing things at the time could feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my 30 shows that I had planned over the course of like seven months in traditional venues were just canceled in an instant, of course, um, understandably so. But uh, yeah, when I was planning a tour, I actually tried to plan this tour for last summer. So, you know, socially distancing was more of a priority and, um and so that was that was the plan for last summer, and then the Ontario outbreak happened, and I couldn't really go through with it. So uh, even though people are still returning to, I mean, traditional venues, I had the idea stuck in my head and really couldn't shake the fact that I felt like these songs sort of belonged amongst dogs, and um, just being able to like bring my dog into the show with me after a full day of driving was it's a big, it's a big help. Mm-hmm. Is is Oblio your first audience for your songs? <laughs> Probably, yeah. She'll hide under the bed if she is not into it. Um, so I can kind of gauge like how good the song is. But um, yeah, she's she's really used to, really used to me playing guitar. A lot of dogs I've noticed in parks maybe don't know what a guitar is. And just in Calgary the other night, I. Um, had a golden retriever barking at me until I put the guitar back in the case. She was very brave. Oh, so it's like when dogs encounter like a stroller or something that it's like, it's not a person, so they can't (laughs) categorize it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like on a bicycle or something, but yeah, it's making sounds. Maybe it's alive. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Um, So as I understand it, Ever Ahead was essentially like written based on a, on a cross country tour that you'd done. Is that right? It's true, yeah. Um, Oblio, my dog, Oblio, and I started driving cross-country like 2016. I had my deep Wagoneer from 1989, but the album is also very much about like fixing up the breaking down car and fixing up my dog when she was attacked and fixing up my mental state. So, um, so it was really written over the course of like maybe two summers, two or three years of touring, um, and just like the stories that we collected there. Yeah. So you're like journaling or writing down ideas for these songs or like, did it, was there an intentionality to like a cross country album? Yeah. Um, not really. I guess, yeah, I don't really know how to write an album that's not a concept album. Cause I feel like, mm. um, my heart is just set on certain themes at the time that I'm writing and it just ends up being really thematic in that way. Um, and I guess the only time that I would be 
like that I would make for myself to write a song would be like when I was behind the wheel of my car and often I would just be singing to myself or <laughs> like making Siri take dictation while I'm driving. And um, that's just kind of what ended up happening. Yeah. So like, are, are you singing little like voice memos or are you just kind of like doing uh, like notes apps to like write down lyrical ideas? <laughs> A little bit of both, yeah. yeah. If I have a tune in my head when I'm writing the lyrics, then I'll I'll go with a voice memo. But um, but if it's just words or sentences, I'll I'll write it in the voice app or but um or the notes app. But know. you know, Siri is not the best at getting all the words right. So mm. sometimes it's like hard to decipher after I'm done. When, when you go back and you're like, what what word? Is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This isn't poetic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you write a bit in metaphor on Everhead and like your Jeep that you mentioned, you re- re- kind of referred to it as a, a steed, right? Like what more more people would associate that word with a horse. Uh, like, is that something that just comes naturally, like kind of thinking in metaphor or is that something that you kind of work at? Oh, that's so sweet. Um, I, <laughs> I often actually get that I don't use enough metaphor and that oh. people just think I'm writing very literally, which I'm, I don't think I am, but, um, it's all subjective, I suppose. Um, that song in particular, uh, I had this Irish mechanic in Toronto telling me that my Jeep was done for, and (laughs) I couldn't help but like cry on the phone. You know, it's my first vehicle. I'm obviously very attached. It's my first home. And, um, and he said in this, like, I'm not going to do an impersonation, but sure. in this beautiful, lilting Irish voice, like, oh, I'm sure she's been a, a trusty steed to you. So I'll give him credit for that line. There you but, go. Um, but yeah, I guess on my past albums, I was trying to do this, like, cowboy thing. And I really just wanted to set the record straight. Like, I don't own a horse. I don't ride a horse. Um, but I do love the old cowboy anthems of the 40s and 50s that are like, you know, talking about their horse as their best friend. So that was that was my way of um, making a little love song to my car in that in that style. Are those the songwriters you grew up with? Like, what what music kind of infiltrated its way into your your childhood? Oh, yeah, not quite. I um I got into country a little later on. Um, my parents were wonderful in introducing me to all their. Um, music that they had in the 60s and 70s and uh, really grew up with like, you know, a lot of Beatles, Joni, Simon and Garfunkel, but also great like Motown, Smokey Robinson, Temptations. And uh, yeah, and then like a lot of 1940s, like big band swing jazz, stuff like that. Mm. So um, so not quite country. Um, I sort of um, got into country a little later on, maybe... Um, when I came up to the Yukon, because the folk country scene is pretty strong up there. So a lot of banjo players and fiddlers. <laughs> so is that how you kind of found your, your musical voice, was like establishing yourself in the Yukon and, and kind of being part of that, that scene? Or like was, did you go up there with the intention of, of finding that scene already? Um, that's a good question. I always wonder why I went up there in the first place. But um, I mean, I, well, I went to an art school up there. It's called... Yukon Sova, the um, School of Visual Art in the North. And so I only intended to go there for a year. Of course, now it's been almost a decade. uh, And I didn't expect to be making so much music up there. It just 
yeah, it just sort of happened. And I think the distance after living my whole life in Toronto, the distance like that I now had in like the furthest possible place I could probably go from Toronto in Canada, uh, was the Yukon. And, um, and I think it just helped me become the person that, um, that I didn't know I wanted to be or could be. And having that distance from everyone I knew and loved, unfortunately, I mean, the distance is hard, but, um, yeah, I really needed the chance to go have some new experiences and become my own person. So Mm-hmm. If that answers the question. Yeah, I think so. You, uh, as I understand it, live off the grid. And so I've, I've read that you, you know, draw water and chop firewood. Is is that a pursuit that like <laughs> allows you sort of the mental space? Like, you know, like when, when you're doing an activity like that, you don't necessarily need a lot of like focused brain power. And that maybe like gives you the opportunity to be creative in, in your head while you're doing it. Yeah, in a way. I mean, those tasks are quite meditative. Um, I mean, in a way, I, I definitely do those cabin chores about it takes like maybe 50 to 60 percent of my day it feels like sometimes just you know like going to the creek and hauling water and like chopping wood and stacking wood and carrying it around and sweeping up the wood chips and scraping wax off of every surface of my home and like you know filling the generator and running all the stuff so it it definitely doesn't leave me a lot of time to do like play the guitar or something. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it helps. Um, it, it definitely helps ground me in a way that I'm more appreciative of everything when I do have it. And, um, and yeah, definitely so privileged to like be able to choose to live like this and to have the time to spend on these tasks. So, um, but you're right about that. Yeah, I think the the meditative aspect kind of gives me time to just be concocting songs in my brain. <laughs> For sure. So uh, Brandon mm-hmm. on Saturday, Kenora on Sunday as part of the Unleashed tour. Before I let you go, Joey, I want to get you to pick a track off of Every Ahead we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that one or an anecdote about it, we'd love to hear that. Oh, gosh. I mean, okay. Well, it's not an original song, um, <laughs> which is maybe silly of me to choose, but um, but I really feel like it's the theme song of this tour. Um, it was written by Terry Bush and John Crossan for the 1979 CTV reboot of The Littlest Hobo, mm-hmm. and it's a song called Maybe Tomorrow. Um, and I do, of course, because I love a sad folk song, I make it a bit a bit sadder and more reflective than like the peppy theme song version you might be familiar with. But um, yeah, my dog just filmed a little music video uh, trailer for this song and um, I can't get it out of my head. Yeah, so we'll, we'll link to that ahead. video in the show description because it is something to see that you're you're performing maybe tomorrow <laughs> while your dog is filming it. So, Oh, thanks. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, Joy, safe drive and uh, thanks for taking some time out of your day to talk. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. <laughs> There's a voice that keeps on calling me Down the road, that's where I'll always be Every stop I make, I'm making you friend Can't stay for long, just turn around and I'm gone again Maybe tomorrow I wanna settle down 
tomorrow I'll just keep moving on Down this road that never seems to end Where new adventure lies just around the bend If you want to join me for a while Just grab your head, come travel like that's hobo style Maybe tomorrow I want to settle down Till tomorrow the whole world is my home There's a world that's waiting to unfold A brand new tale no one has ever told We've journeyed far, but you know it won't be long We're almost there We've paid our fare with a hobo song Maybe tomorrow I wanna settle down Until tomorrow I'll just keep moving on Maybe tomorrow I'll find what I call home Until tomorrow you know I'm free Somehow I just knew that we'd make it through Me and you 
Singer-songwriter Andrew Duon with a new single called Emerald Blue. Before that, Joey O'Neill and their choice of Maybe Tomorrow from Ever Ahead. Uh, speaking of Ahead, the Sadies with Stop and Start, they're coming to play with Kurt Weil at the Folk Fest next week. So we're going to play the new single Stop and Start. And then we've got the interview with Letha Ross right after that. Stick around. <laughs> to the 
right. Well, coming to Birds Hill Park to play the Winnipeg Folk Festival, singer-songwriter Laith Ross, who joins us by phone. Welcome to the show, Laith. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Uh, you just came back from a, a pretty hefty UK tour, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes. Uh, what, what was that experience like? It was great. It was, um, it was very overwhelming. I'd never been on tour before, and I'd never been to Europe or the UK. So it was a lot of new experiences at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was opening solo, which was, a, which was a, I think, a good learning experience for me. The whole thing was a really good learning experience. And I'm definitely still digesting it. There's no way that all that stuff has sunk in yet. Um, but it was great. Yeah. Uh, you, you released your record in 2020. Mm-hmm. And then obviously uh, touring became a... Uh, a no-go. Uh, yeah. Having sat on your songs for, for that long and then getting the chance to do this, was this like, was there a lot of kind of like pent-up energy or were, was there a lot of anxiety about kind of like taking these songs out at this point? True. Um, I think a mixture of both um, and also just sort of like a, I would describe it best as like a, a disconnect. Like I wrote the songs in maybe the year before I recorded them. Um, and then once they were recorded, then it was another year before they came out. Um, and then it was essentially two years of the pandemic before I was ever playing them on the road. Mm. Um, so there, it was just sort of more like there, there wasn't, in my mind, sort of a direct correlation between going on the road and playing those songs in my current life versus when I wrote and recorded them. So there's yeah, it was a, interesting. a lot of distance between the you that created those songs and the you that was performing them. Yes, exactly. Um, but I think sort of what rejuvenated my love for them was being able to meet people who love the songs and see people enjoy them. Um, and that kind of painted them in a new light for me, I think. Right. Yeah. I guess having, those people have the opportunity to really sit with those songs for a while rather than maybe having just heard them and then going out to see you. It maybe yeah, has exactly. some more resonance to them. Yeah, maybe. True. I do think there was some moments of real joy of sort of, it's my first time being on the road and it was some people's first time ever hearing me play. Um, but we had somehow already built up such a weird connection through the internet. <laughs> So there was a, a wonderful moment of everything being contextualized and getting to look into each other's eyeballs and, you know, yeah, share a space. It was lovely. The, I mean, so the intimacy of a lot of like European singer-songwriter shows is like the, the like crowds sit pretty attentively and, and, and watch and there's not, a, it's not like a lot of barroom chatter like a North American show. Mm. I think that shares a similarity with a folk fest, right? Like it's mm. like the people are, are there for the music and, and really kind of in tune with what the artist is putting out. Did, do you feel like you, you, you work best in a, in a venue like that or in a, in a space like that or, or have, I mean, I guess you didn't have much in terms of experience of like playing a bar show if I'm looking at yeah. the dates, right? I mean, I, I did, but it was always like when I was in school in Toronto, but it was always, um, as a background singer. So it wasn't, it's not quite the same thing. You know, you're not, you're not the one in the center of the stage bearing your soul as mm-hmm. it were. <laughs> so 
yeah, I feel like, yeah, I, have, I haven't had a ton of experience to figure out what works best. Obviously, it's lovely when people listen, and I, my music is very um, soft and very sort of tender. So I think it works best in a room that is quieter. Um, and I think also it's so lyrical, lyrically based. So um, it's also nice when people can hear what I'm saying. Right. Um, yeah, and on the tour, because it was an opening an opening slot for the lovely Andy Schaaf, it was very, like, it really differed. The rooms really differed. Um, and in the rooms where it was very quiet and a bit smaller, people were really attentive. It was always sort of pretty magical. Right. You mentioned the the, the lyrics. Uh, it's very lyrically oriented. Like, do you write lyrics first and then come up with melodies or, or songs to fit those lyrics? Or, like, what's your songwriting process? My songwriting process is very, um, the lyrics and the melody, all of it is is really all happening at the same time when I write. Mm. It's very, um, and it happens really fast too. So it's very like I'll be having a feeling and wanting to express it. And then I sit down and sort of all comes out at once um, in like a few hours. And then once I'm finished, I'm just finished and I usually don't, um, revisit the song. It's kind of like a big burst of energy and a big blob that falls out of my mouth, and then it's sort of over. So it's it just kind of bursts out of you. Do you do any like revisions or editing, or is it like okay, this is what came out of me, and so this is what it is? Yes, I usually don't edit. I think I'm I mostly just let. There's this sort of feeling I get when I go go back to edit some songs where. I don't trust the person that's editing as much as I trust the person who was feeling that thing strongly enough to write a song about it. Mm. Um, and so I kind of, I will sometimes like change up the arrangement of something if I think it works better. But for the most part, I like to trust the version of Lisa that um, wrote the song in the first place because they were much more in the headspace um, for the song than I am later. Right. So, then when it comes to, you know, p- say putting the EP together, did you mm-hmm. sort through other songs like and, and try to figure out like what what the album was or what the EP was? Or was that just simply like this is the stuff that kind of burst out for me at that time. So this is what what's going to be on the record. Yeah, it was exactly that, actually. So the EP came together really spontaneously. It was my final project for Humber College. And you're supposed to do just like two or three songs. Um, the project is to create a 15-minute EP. Um, and But you can use the studio time for anything you'd like. So basically, um, like a few weeks before my last recording session for the, um, for the project, I emailed the sound engineer. I was like, can we try to do some stuff live off the floor because we just played through some of the songs that I wrote recently just for fun with the band, and they went really well. And so um, Motherwell is actually just a three and a half, four hour live session, essentially. Mm. So, um, and it was all songs that had been written in the like six months prior of my life. It was sort of like a hard time for me and I was writing a lot. And then we were just like, okay, we're just going to throw together all these songs from this, like all my favorite songs from this last little period, record them really like live off the floor, see how many we can get done. And then just sort of see what happens, and it ended up working really well, and that's what Motherwell is. You said the six months was it was a hard time for you. 
do you find the writing is a a processing uh, method for you or was it something that just because of the fact that you needed to finish this project for Humber, you kind of had to hunker down and do that? Like, Oh yeah, no, definitely the former writing yeah. is like, it's, um, it's very, it's very like journaling, um, to me. I use it to not only like sort of process and write down what I'm feeling, but I also use it to figure out what I'm feeling. I feel like sometimes I'll sit down to write a song and I'll, and I'll be, I'll have, an ability to center in on what it is I'm actually upset about it or what it is I'm actually thinking about when before it was a bit clouded. So I definitely do use it as a tool, especially to get through the harder times in my life. So when you kind of like put these lyrics down, do you go back and read them and then that's like how you kind of sort out your feelings or like what headspace you're in? Like you, you're like, oh, wait, I, from a critical remove, I now see kind of what I was thinking or what I was processing. Yeah, sometimes it's that, and then sometimes I'll like get to the third verse of the song. And I'll be like, okay, what am I trying to say here? What am I trying to say in this song? And then I'll I'll narrow in on the concept, <laughs> and then the concept is just how I feel. So it's like this: I'm I'm sort of piecing everything in my in my brain together at that moment, and um, I'm doing it to finish the song. But then what ends up happening is that I just sort of start understanding something about myself a lot better by trying to figure out what I was trying to say by writing the song. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think I know what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. I I read a, a review of the record that uh, was on Early Rising, but they had a quote from you about the, the message behind the record being, I've always been someone who would strike up a conversation with a stranger on the streetcar on the way home from buying groceries. Around that time, I hadn't been leaving the house to get groceries. They got delivered to my door. This song mourns the moment in my future where I'll inevitably choose the ease offered to me over the moment of anxiety that leads to something precious. I feel like that's maybe a, a statement on creativity too, that like the anxiety of the the work that goes into to creating something versus like taking an easier easier path and, and maybe that as difficult as it might be, it, it leads to something more fruitful as a creator. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's so, I mean, it's like a, you know, age old saying of the easy way out, but I think there's so many things that it's so easy to be scared of, especially in creativity and, and also every part of, of being creative, especially the later, the latter bits when you're like, you know, moving into putting, like, bringing something on stage, sharing with people that you love, sharing with the whole wide universe. It's very anxiety-inducing, but all of the most rewarding um, bits of getting to share music with the world have come post-forcing myself to be vulnerable and um, to sing for people and to put music out and even to, you know, jump into making a new project, even though that is also really scary. I feel like remembering how how gratifying and and wonderful and human it is on the other side to connect with people um makes all the anxiety and stuff worth it it's just sometimes hard to remember it in the moment did you ever have uh, that anxiety about like striking up a conversation with a stranger was that tied to it at all i i think that was more sort of like i didn't have it before you know and then i was mourning it both because of the pandemic and also just growing up and uh, losing a bit of 
my rose-colored glasses about people and the world. And, you know, not always for unjustified reasons. Um, but just it just made me sad because that human connection is something that I, I feel like I really crave and need. And, I mean, all of us do. Um, and so it's been nice to sort of be able to access that through music instead because at the beginning of, like, in the past few years, I've been... I've been sorely missing just, like, getting to know strangers. Well, it seemed like, you know, curiosity being a, a stronger impulse than anxiety or, or, or fear, that, like, you, you would push through that or, you know, the what you wanted to discover was more important than, like, how how difficult that discovery might be. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good way of putting it. There's piano and guitar on on Motherwell. I'm curious, do you write with one or the other instrument uh, in mind initially? Like, do you sit down at the piano or do you pull out a guitar? Like, what's your go-to? Yeah, it sort of depends. I would say mostly I write on guitar, but then sometimes I'll have an idea for a song and it'll just sort of feel like piano would fit it better. Or sometimes I I try to force myself to write on piano a little more because I'm not quite as used to it, and then I'll have some ideas that maybe I wouldn't have when I'm writing on guitar. Um, But I do, I love them both dearly. I I don't really have a preference in that sense. I feel like, Um, you know, sonically, I think they both fit really well with sort of what I write about. And I also just love the way they sound. Were there any songwriters who you gravitated towards who, you know, used one or the other instrument or, or combined the two? Like, was that something growing up that was kind of part of the the background noise that eventually created created your own music? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say probably if I was going to be raised, like the way that I was raised, it would sort of be more, yeah, the, the guitar was a huge part of it. My, like, growing up around the house, it was always, like, really old country playing or just sort of, like, um, acoustic folk tales, whether that was Celtic folk or sort of a more country folk thing. Um, So, you know, storytelling with an acoustic guitar is definitely sort of what first formed my musical brain. Um, But then going to school and stuff and diving into a bunch of different other kinds of music sort of gave me a bit more of a love for piano as an instrument. Um, So piano, I would say probably my later development. And then growing up, it was all all old country and folk. Right. And that's like your parents' records that you'd get to listen to or were (laughs) subjected to? Yeah. (laughs) Although now I have a, I am very thankful for the music that they played me when I was a kid. They had pretty good taste. Right on. Um, you, You mentioned that, you know, it was, you know, a good year before the record came out that these songs were kind of like, they they represent the leaf of that period and then, We've got two years into into it. Are mm. have you been writing since then? And like, is the the Leith Ross that's in these songs a drastically different person than the Motherwell songs? True. Um, I have been writing a lot. I, I'm usually writing a lot. I do. I'm kind of. Uh, it just is pretty common practice for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think. Recently, I've been having a little bit of a revisit to maybe something resembling the Leith Ross from the Motherwell era, um, but feels more 
adult or something. It feels more like I've, I think once I went through a few more phases of my life than the bad ones from when I was 19-ish, um, I can sort of look upon my 19-year-old self with a bit more context and a bit, a bit more ups and downs and sort of be able to understand that person better. And so now when I write, you know, really sad songs, if I'm in another <laughs> little depressive episode or whatever, I sort of, I like to make odes to 19-year-old Lise writing those really sad songs. Um, but it doesn't feel quite so dire. So in general, there's sort of a feeling that that, that version of me is behind me a little bit, which I'm very grateful for. It's, it's so nice to know that on the other side of something that feels like world ending, that there's, you just get a couple of years older and you can look back on it decently objectively. <laughs> so then playing those songs as you did in, in Europe, like, are you kind of looking with, with some maybe benevolence to the leaf of, of 19? Absolutely. It was, it felt very much like that. It was, I don't, I used to not be able to play those songs without crying because the the experiences that I was writing about were so recent and and still so tender. Mm. Um, and uh, and then once I was on tour, I was playing those songs. I wasn't I wasn't quite so emotionally in that place anymore. And so it felt it felt so nice to only be concentrating and thinking about how you know the songs have connected with other people or how maybe they're just beautiful you know, separate from what they mean and sort of like getting to see all the different sides of, of that experience and of those songs without without being so in it that I'm crying on stage. <laughs> right. Yeah. You mentioned uh, that you, songwriting is, is a practice. Like, do you block out time? Like, do you sit down and say, I'm going to write songs for this period of time a day? Or like, what's what's that practice look like? True. It's actually... I've almost never blocked out a time to write a song. I don't know that I ever have unless I've been like forced to through school. Mm. I think for me it's it's almost like a it's almost like a practice in being present or mindful like when when I'm spending time with myself, I can tell when when I need to create something um to get something out to to process one of my experiences um and if I follow that that urge, that whim to do it, um, then generally I feel way better afterwards. So my practice is kind of like paying attention to myself and making sure that I create when when I sort of have this pull to create. Like last night I was going to sleep and I was just about to fall asleep. And then my brain was like, oh, we're having a feeling that we must do something about. And so I woke up and I journaled and then I wrote a song. Um, about what I was feeling and then afterwards I felt way better and I had a really good sleep. So that's kind of what what it looks like. It's, mm-hmm. It can be any time of day, any time of night and I sort of, if I have this feeling like I have to do it, then I have to do it and, and that kind of feels like how I go about processing the world. Uh, you recently were named the first recipient of the John Prine Songwriter Fellowship. Does that come with like any kind of expectations about like like songs you have to create during that period, or do, like do you have to kind of like create a practice of songwriting? I, you know what, I think the beautiful thing about John Prine specifically 
is that, you know, at first I was, I was sort of thinking a similar thing. I was like, oh man, like, like, is this, you know, me? Is this similar to me? Like, how much do I have to write? What do I have to write about? Like, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I grew up listening to John Prine, and I, I think he's, he, from what I could tell from his lyrics and the way that he lived his life, he was so funny. He was so smart, um, so intelligent in every way, especially emotionally intelligent. And I feel like, you know, John Prine would have wanted me to have fun and and live and let those experiences soak in slower and, and sort of not be like, um, for lack of a better word, like sort of pretentious about songwriting, but rather, um, you know, say whatever I have to say and then go out and eat a sandwich and get a beer with my friends. So I feel like um, he's the perfect person to be inspiring for all the right reasons about living well and loving your life and writing music about that rather than making yourself write music to over-romanticize something, you know? Right. I feel like he was such an incredible, incredible writer for that specific, like, joy and beauty of life that comes so naturally. It's not forced. It's like a, a learned, lived experience that comes out with, like, just the most endearing sort of half-comedic, half-soul-crushing philosophy sort of way. So he actually inspires me to be mindful about writing music in in that way versus, you know, maybe coming at it from a more academic perspective, mm. making myself do something. Sure. Before I let you go, Leith, I want to get you to pick a track off Motherwell that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that one or an anecdote about it, we'd love to hear that. Okay. Um, maybe Tommy. I It was the song I wrote about my grandfather who had passed about a year before or like in the year that I wrote it. Um, and I think it's like equal parts joy and nostalgia and, you know, but it's not, but it's not too slow and sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just about a great man who I miss very, very much. Um, yeah, that could be a good one. All right. We'll give that one a listen. Lee, thanks very much for taking some time and, uh, looking forward to seeing you at Birds Hill Park for Winnipeg Folk Festival. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Strong as an ox he was Tough as a bull he had Stories and poems and dirty jokes I came in running with my brother in tow We had dirt on our knees Climbing on his feet to show Oh, 
but the kids would laugh And he'd play in the corner till he closed the gap Music in 